you'd like a copy of the notes. And uh, for those of us joining us on our live stream, it's only one part of our service here at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. You can be part of the whole thing by dropping us an email, or you can just come and see us in person at 11 on Sundays. Today, we're going to look at three passages in the Bible. First of all, from Proverbs uh, chapter 24, then uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and finally Luke chapter 12. And before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd speak it into our hearts today in the power of your Holy Spirit. Show us how we need to change and, and prepare ourselves for all that you desire to do. We love you and we worship you and we adore you. Uh, we thank you for this time. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would rest upon me so I can bring your word to your people today boldly and faithfully. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In Proverbs, we're going to look at chapter 24, just verse 27. Solomon says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. And then to 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Paul's talking to his son in the Lord, Timothy. And he says, Now in a, a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And then finally, we go to Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 35. Jesus is talking here and he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants." But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? or steward, whom his master will set over his household to give him their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Wow. Now, I've been, uh, I've been preaching for a lot of years and uh, doing leading churches now for uh, almost four decades. And uh, reflecting back on that time, uh, there's been a lot of good things that have happened. There's been a lot of lows that have happened, you know, negative things that have happened. There have been things that have caused me great sadness and, and a lot of joy that's come along. But I have to say consistently, the thing that breaks my heart the most, the thing that breaks my heart the most are the people who have missed their blessing in the kingdom or who have diminished their position in the kingdom because they weren't ready, because they didn't prepare themselves. And I've seen it happen so many times. I've seen people who have said, oh, I want this ministry. I've got this in my heart to have this kind of ministry. And you make a way for them and then they don't take it. They don't step into it. You know, I've seen people who have told to me the desires of their heart and God starts to give them the desires of their heart and they don't receive it. They don't take it. And time after time after time, I have seen this. And every time it breaks my heart. Now, they don't lose their salvation, I don't think. I think I'll see them in heaven. But I think many of these people will be kicking themselves because of what they missed. And, and frankly, I have to say that I have a healthy fear about this in my life. You know, as Christians, we talk a lot about the grace of God, and it's true the love of God, and it's true. But oftentimes, we don't talk about the fear of God. Now, part of the reason why we don't talk about the fear of God so much is because we start to think about it as, you know, some uh, of God as some malicious God who just wants to punish people, and that's wrong. That's not a biblical picture of God. But at the same time, we need to understand that God is God. God is a holy God. God takes things very seriously and you can easily miss something that God had promised to you because you weren't ready or because you didn't act properly. And if you want to see the, a quick biblical example of that, look at Moses. Moses is a man that God spoke to face to face as a man does his friend. Everybody recognized the intimacy that he had that uh, with God. Yet, 
toward the end, after almost 40 years wandering in the wilderness, Moses messed up and dishonored God. And because of that, he couldn't go into the promised land. Imagine that, you know, hanging out with for 40 years with people that were irritating you and irritating you and irritating you. And then in the end, you don't get what's promised because finally, after 40 years, you kind of smack them, you know, or something like that. Uh, but that's instructive to me. And so I live with this healthy fear of the Lord, just like I have a healthy fear of electricity. I love electricity. Electricity has been very, very good to me. But at the same time, I'm not going to stick my fingers into a socket as a test of that electricity. So, but I have a healthy respect for that. I love the ocean. The ocean has been very, very good to me. Uh, there's very few things that I like more than seeing the waves crash in the ocean. And many other people feel the same way, but how many times, almost every year, we read about somebody who likes the ocean, but doesn't respect the ocean. And they're swept away because of that. Now, there are some parts of the Bible that scare me. There's some dynamics around God that scares me. I don't, I'm not afraid of his rejection. I know I'm accepted in Christ. And I'm not going to fall into legalism or judgmentalism because of that, because that's a wrong approach. I believe in the grace of God, but I also believe in God's justice, God's judgment, God's holiness, and the like. And clearly, Jesus did as well. Now, the sermon today, I, I was a little nervous about it. It's actually the first thing that God told me to speak about this year. Uh, a couple of months ago, as I'm praying for words from the year, for the year, this passage was starting to percolate in my, in my mind, the passage from Luke, all the way back in November, and coming from the Lord. And it's a passage that, you know, makes me a little nervous, puts me a little on edge when I look at it. And there's a danger here. Uh, and the danger is when you look at a passage like this, the people who are already doing what God wants them to do tend to be the ones who feel guilty and listen too closely to the message. But the people who are not doing what God wants them to do, but think they do what God wants them to do, those are the people who tend to ignore the message. You know, so if you're looking at who this is for, you know, I'd say, well, it's for all of us older Christians, age-wise. It's for us who've been walking with Jesus for at least 20 years or more. Uh, it's for people who think that they have a ministry or a calling or responsibility or activities. It's for Christians who have a lot of resources or claim to have a lot of knowledge uh, because typically the people in those categories are the ones who ignore this kind of message. Now, this is not for those of you that are young in the faith or on the edge of the faith uh, who already tend to feel guilty or condemned. You know, there's no condemnation for those in, who are in Christ Jesus. And guilty and shame, guilt and shame, unless they are caused by the Holy Spirit himself, are absolutely useless emotions. And I say that for you who are younger in the Lord. Don't get caught up in that. The message is also for anybody that's tempted to be lazy 
uh, self-indulgent or self-centered in their life in Christ Jesus. So God's word, and, and this, these last five weeks we've been looking at God's words for 2024, 20, and they each tend to be one word. And so the last word, which was actually the first word, but it needs to go to the last, is the word ready. Ready. It's a great word, isn't it? It's a challenge, you know. Get ready. Get ready. It's also the starter. Ready, steady, go. And it's a question. Are you ready? Are you ready? And remember, when God asks us a question, it's not because God needs the information. Are you ready? We might reasonably ask, ready for what? Ready for what? And Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us, the orientation in this passage is Jesus is the master, we are the servants, and Jesus, in the passage we read from Luke, tells us to get ready and answers the question, ready for what? Ready for what? The first thing we need to get ready for is we need to be ready, get ready, for the return of Jesus to his household, to his household, which is the church, the body of Christ. Uh, the situation Jesus is presenting here is a situation where there's a sudden return of the master after an undetermined absence. In this case, the master had been to a wedding feast and he's coming back. But the, the servants in the house don't know what time the master's coming back. Because remember, back in the day, wedding feasts, they lasted several days. So you go to a wedding, you know, you might not come back uh, for a few days. I know some Nigerians that have gone to Nigeria for a wedding, and they haven't come back for three or four months. You know, so, you know, this happens. That's happened with some Koreans, too, I think. Uh, you know, this kind of thing. And so the master's coming back and the guys don't know exactly when the master's coming back. And so it's talking about a sudden visitation. This is not about the second coming. None of these uh, 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 passages, none of these examples in this place is about the second coming. It's about being ready now. It's about what's happening right now. The stress here on the part of Jesus is on the suddenness of something that happens without warning or without notice for which the servants must be ready. And in this case, the master is suddenly coming back to his household. And Jesus is saying that he's going to suddenly come back and visit his churches across the world at some point in time in the future, I mean, it's imminent. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do know that it's going to happen. And so what does Jesus say? How do we get ready, according to Jesus? How do the servants, and we're the servants, get ready? Well, first of all, he says, essentially, keep your belt on. Actually, he literally says, gird up your loins. But, uh, you know, I think of loins as a meat that Karen buys in the supermarket and cooks, and I have no idea what a gird is, but I heard about a girdle uh, when I was young, and it wasn't something that men wore, it was something that women wore, and I think most women are thankful that they don't anymore, 
So, you know, so gird up the loins doesn't quite communicate to us. But I'm thinking, you know, keep your belt on kind of does. Because I have to tell you, with work from home these days, uh, a lot of times I'll put on my, my trousers in the morning and I don't put on my belt. And, uh, and so I'll lounge around the house working throughout the day. Yes, I do work. Uh, I lounge about the house working throughout the day without my belt on. But if I have to go outside to buy something, I'll put my belt on because I don't want my trousers to fall down. Right? You know, you men, you, you understand that. I mean, we all have this nightmare, right? About going someplace and forgetting to put on our trousers. It's a common dream that we have. And so Jesus says, keep your belt on, keep your loins girded, or in this translation, stay dressed for action. It means that we always need to be ready to take action, to do our service, to do our ministry, that for which we have to leave our house, leave our setting, leave our comfort zone. We're all called to that, and we all need to be ready for it. If you're not ready and the master comes, he's not going to wait for you to get ready. And you, things can happen. And I've actually seen people miss a move of God because they weren't ready. And then Jesus says a second thing. He says, if you're going to be ready, you need to keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. That's about being ready for service or action or ministry during times of darkness. Because why would you keep a lamp on at night? I mean, if I'm going to bed and I'm going to sleep through the night, I turn off the light. But if I want to be ready because maybe Io is going out and uh, having a meal with friends and I want to make sure that she gets home okay, I leave the light on. So I'm ready. Ready to listen. Know that something could happen any moment. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That we need to, you know, be ready for action, keep our belt on, keep the lamp burning, and keep waiting and watching to open the door for the master. We need to be prepared to welcome Jesus when he comes back, no matter when he comes, even if it's uh, in the middle of the night, because Jesus never comes at a convenient time. It's one thing I've learned about Jesus. He never comes at a convenient time. He'll tell me to get up and pray, pray at six in the morning or five in the morning. That's terribly inconvenient. It wakes me up in the middle of the night, pray now. That's terribly inconvenient. Oh, we talk a lot about church and, you know, church is great. Uh, and some people don't in the world, not you guys, because clearly you're here. Some people don't come to church uh, simply because it's not convenient. Well, actually, Jesus doesn't care about your convenience. It's his timing because he's the master and we're not. And so Jesus says to get ready. Uh, here's the good news. In all these things, there's a readiness reward. There's a reward for readiness. In this case, Jesus says that there's going to be a special blessing for the servants who are awake. You get a special blessing. Uh, and in, in a really strange twist, I mean, everybody would have caught this. Maybe you did too. The master serves the servants. 
So here the master comes home, the servants are awake, they receive a special blessing, and then the master fixes a meal for them. That's extraordinary. And the implication here is that the sleeping servants receive nothing. Those who aren't ready don't receive the readiness reward. Now there's a second thing that Jesus tells us here that we need to get ready for. We need to be ready for the thief who plans to break into your house. Be ready for the thief who plans to break into your house. This verse is 39 and 40 if you're following in the text. Uh, and you know, the implication here is that there is a thief who is planning to break into your house. It's a plan. It's a strategy. The enemy is looking. The enemy is watching. This is an entirely unexpected but not unanticipated event. So you don't know when the thief is going to come in, but you can know that the thief will come in if you give the thief an opportunity. You don't want to be caught off guard and taken unawares when it happens. So it's an unexpected break-in that could happen any time, and it's the thief that wants to break in. And remember what Jesus says in John, that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we need to be ready. So we must not, we must be ready so that we don't leave our house unattended to be broken into. Now your house, what is that? It's your life, it's your relationship, it's your resources, it's your responsibility. It's kind of like you don't leave your credit card sitting out on the front stoop of your house that anybody coming along can pick them up and start tapping away. You know, don't leave your house unattended. Don't leave your wallet unattended. We know that, guys, don't we? Women? <laughs> Excuse me, don't leave your purse unattended. We know that, we understand it. And Jesus is saying we need to attend to our house. We need to take care with our life, with everything that we have, with everything, the resources that God has given us. We need to make sure that we don't take a holiday from our life. Even when we go on holiday, we like to have our house attended or at least have an alarm on, get someone to stay there. And in a sense, as Christians, we never take a holiday from our faith. You don't take a holiday from your church or from your ministry or from your Christian life, from your relationships. And yet, I can't tell you the number of times over the years, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I'm just going to take a holiday from church for a while. That's like me saying, hey, Karen, I'm just going to take a holiday from being married to you for a while, and I'm going to go and sleep around a bit. It's startling when you put it in that, in that attitude. But that is effectively what's going on there. And if you leave these parts of your life unattended, the thief will break in. There have been several times I've had someone tell me, you know, Rod, I, I think I just need a holiday from church. And, you know, the people are driving me crazy. I understand that feeling. 
You guys understand that too about me. You know, sometimes you just need to get rid of me. You know, I understand the feeling. But many times, you know what happens? That person never comes back. Because they fall into sin, they, they fall away, and they miss what God wants to do because they weren't ready. So we must not leave our house, our life, abandoned and unattended. And there's a readiness reward here again. The readiness reward is if we're taking care of our house, first of all, our house won't be vandalized. If you're keeping watch over your life, over all the resources and such that God has given you, the enemy cannot take that away from you because he doesn't have authority over you. You have authority over your house in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second readiness reward is that you won't miss Jesus when he comes. And again, he's going to come when you least expect him. So we've got to be ready for the coming of Jesus to his household. We need to be, be ready so that uh, for the thief that wants to plan, that plans to break in and try to steal. And we need to be ready for an evaluation of our stewardship. Peter, you know, he's feeling a little uneasy here at this point. And he says, you know, Jesus, are you picking on us? Or is this for everybody? You know, and, and Jesus in fine fashion doesn't really answer that question, but he does answer the question with a question, which he, he loves to do. He says, who then is the faithful and wise steward? Who is the faithful and wise steward? Uh, a steward here, it's translated manager in many English translations, but manager isn't quite the most accurate translation either because a steward had leadership in the master's house. So we tend to think of the steward as just the caretaker, but that's not true. A steward did more than taking care. A steward made sure that the master's business continued to advance even when the master wasn't present. So the steward had some responsibility. The master would say, okay, steward, this is yours. He might say, you're in charge of, of this money. You need to take care of it, invest it, use it to grow. He might say, okay, you're in charge of my fields or you're in charge of my sheep. Uh, are you in charge of the household servants? Are you in charge of going out and buying the food and making sure it comes in and everybody's fed? You know, so the steward had a responsibility for ministry, for stewardship, uh, stewardship in the household. And that was very important. And the steward had to exercise wise leadership over that stewardship. And every Christian has a stewardship in God's household. Every single one of us. Every single one of us have, has a different stewardship. It's not all the same, but you have a stewardship. I have a stewardship. Uh, and we have to work together to manage our stewardships, if you will, and make sure that they're profitable. Make sure that they expand. By the way, your stewardship does not exist apart from the household of God. So you can't say, oh, I've got my stewardship. See you guys later. I'm going to go and do my stewardship on my own. That's not how that works. 
It has to be as part of the household. Now, that doesn't mean you're in the household all the time when you're exercising your stewardship. Obviously, if you've got a stewardship over the sheep, you don't bring the flock of sheep into the master's house. You'll get a little upset with that. It smells. You don't do that. Okay, so you get the idea here. And Jesus says, effectively, that he has two standards for our stewardship. Two standards. Standard number one is that we're faithful. He doesn't say we have to be profitable, just that we're faithful, just that we exercise the stewardship consistently and steadfastly according to the will of God. So we have to be faithful in our stewardship, and that's day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year faithfulness. You know, you're not faithful until the end, until you give an account. And then it's the master that decides the faithfulness factor. The second standard, according to Jesus, is that you have to be wise in your stewardship. And being wise means that you have the right frame of mind. You got the right mindset about exercising your stewardship. You don't do it begrudgingly. You know, you don't say, oh, I don't really want to do that, but God's making me do it, so I guess I'll go ahead and do it. Yeah, but it also means using good sense about it. It's about applying the Bible to the ways that we live. And again, we have to be faithful and wise in the exercise of our stewardship in God's household. Involvement in God's household is essential. And if we're faithful and wise, Jesus says that there's some readiness rewards that come that way that Jesus then sets you over his household so that you care for others. That's a reward. If you want more responsibility, if you want, you know, more ministry, then be faithful and wise in the stewardship God has given you. And he'll expand that. There's also a blessing for the faithful and wise one who is exercising his, his stewardship. God will give you a special blessing. And each for each of us a bit, of course. And Jesus says the third stewardship reward, the readiness reward, is that we're given authority in God's kingdom and over the things of God. We're set over, given authority in the kingdom of God. So if we're ready to give an account for our stewardship, that means being faithful and wise in the exercise of our stewardship day by day, Jesus expands that stewardship gives us a blessing when he gives an account, calls us to give an account for it, sets us over others, greater of God. He tells them, is not the how the way for your own. So if you hear you know, I he needs to hear that message. It's so it's for your own self-examination. How do you discern those who are not faithful or wise? These are people who become offended, disgruntled, or disillusioned at the delay in Jesus' coming, at the delay in his action. Notice here that, you know, if the servant 
you know, starts wondering about the time lapse and starts doing these kinds of things. And I've seen many, many people who are trying to follow Jesus and serve Jesus that become offended by God or disgruntled with God or even disillusioned with the whole thing because God seems to be delaying giving them an answer. God seems to be delaying a response. It's almost like Jesus is not present, that he doesn't seem to be moving or answering our prayers. And if that happens in your life, and certainly we've gone through situations at City Temple where that's been the case maybe for two or three years or more. Don't allow yourself to become disillusioned, disgruntled, or offended by what seems to be Jesus' absence. There's a second way you can discern who's not faithful or wise, and it's how they treat other people. Those that are not faithful and not wise, they tend to abuse, mistreat, or dominate other servants. They mistreat other servants. And sometimes the abuse is not open and aggressive. Sometimes it's more subtle, but it's there. How you treat other people is a primary indicator of how you are exercising your stewardship. Absolutely key there. Absolutely key. And the third thing that Jesus says here to discern those who are not faithful and not wise he says effectively that they are self-centered and seeking their own pleasure. Self-centered and seeking their own pleasure. And sometimes that can even be in the sense of, I've seen some people like, well, this is my ministry and I have to exercise my ministry. And it sounds great, but they're not doing it in conjunction with the other members of the household. And all they're doing is being selfish and self-centered. It sounds righteous, it sounds holy, but it's not. And so if you see these things, even in your own life, Jesus is saying this, those, those are not being faithful, and there are consequences for those who are unfaithful and unwise. And we need to pay attention, because these are rather stern. Consequence one, number one, they will be cut in pieces. If you are not faithful and not wise in the stewardship God has given you, it will rip your life apart. I've seen it. I mean, my heart breaks for it. I've seen people, it's like a train wreck. You see it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. You tell the conductor it's going to happen. Nobody pays attention, but it happens. And we have to be careful. It's like we're cut up in pieces, Jesus says. It's what Jesus is saying. It's the consequences of being unfaithful, unwise in your stewardship. And the second thing, they will be placed with the unbelieving or the unfaithful. They'll be put with the unbelieving or unfaithful. In other words, let me say it this way, you'll experience your own personal hell. And I've seen it. It is terrible. It's terrible, but it happens. It's almost as if you were never saved, but this is not about your ultimate salvation. Understand, if you're unfaithful, unwise in your stewardship, but you're saved, I'll still see you in heaven, 
but it makes a big difference about how you experience life in Christ on this planet and the reward you experience in your life. So we have to be ready. We have to be ready, ready for an evaluation of our stewardship. And the fourth thing, we must be ready to give an account for knowing and doing God's will in our life. Each of us will give an account both for knowing God's will and for doing God's will. And God's will is knowable. It's knowable if you really want to listen. If you really ask the Lord, you can know it. Uh, much of it is in the scripture. God's will is knowable. And we'll give an account for both knowing God's will and doing God's will in our lives. Now, many of people assume that they know God's will and they assume that they're doing God's will. Uh, many assume even that they know God, but they don't. What's the standard? The standard is the Bible. It's always there. And you are responsible for God's will in your life. When you stand before the Lord, when the Lord calls you to give an account for your knowing God's will, which he does not only after we die, but at various points in our lives, you can't say, well, Jesus, the pastor didn't let me do this. Or Jesus, the elders did this. Or Jesus, this person did that. Or that person did that. Because you give an account for knowing and doing God's will in your life. Excuse me. So you, got it, you have two responsibilities here. Sorry about that. Two responsibilities. You need to get yourself ready to do God's will and then do God's will. Prepare yourself to do God's will and then do it. It's almost like the commercial for a popular brand of trainers. Do it. Know it and do it. That's our responsibility. And understand that, yes, if you don't try to know it and then do it, there are consequences. There is a punishment that happens for us. And the words here clearly are about punishment. Again, it's not about eternal uh, punishment or anything like that. Uh, Jesus is making that fairly clear in the context here. But still, there is a punishment there. But God's punishment, thank God, is proportional. You know, you'll have a beating. That's the language he uses here. And a beating, by the way, simply means, the word just simply means to cut off that which is bad or disorderly. To deal with that which is bad or disorderly, that's what a beating is all about here. So it's not, you know, like this physical punishment. It's you know, it's acting so as to get rid of what is bad or disorderly, undisciplined in our lives. There's a severe beating, severe punishment for those who know God's will but do not do God's will. And there's a light beating, light punishment for those who don't know God's will and therefore do not do God's will. But God will deal with what is bad or disorderly or undisciplined in our lives. And it hurts. 
as someone who's had a lot of bad, unorderly, disorderly, and undisciplined things in his life, I could tell you. I could tell you, you don't want it. You don't want it. So you got to get ready to do God's will and do God's will. Know it and do it. And we have to understand here, too, that God's demands are proportional. If God's given you much, much knowledge, much resources, then much is required of you. If God's entrusted you with much, gifts, talents, abilities, and the like, then much is demanded of you. So understand, God's proportional. He's completely fair. And he deals with each of us as we need. But when I look at this, I get really terrified for the church in the West. Do you know here in England, in the United Kingdom, United States, many other places around the world, we have more resources as Christians than the early church fathers could ever have imagined. We have more at our fingertip. We have more money. We have more time. As God's people, what are we doing with it? And I think the Western church is going to have a hard time because of this. But we don't have to be in that number. We can do things differently. And we need to understand, this is like with all these others, there is a readiness reward. And that's really exciting. The readiness reward is no punishment and no fear of punishment. I like that. So if we're ready to know and do the will of God, and we then do the will of God, then there's no punishment. We don't have to worry about it. And the really cool thing about this is that God has already given us his grace, and God has filled us with his Holy Spirit, and we have the Bible as God's word, and Jesus has defeated the power of sin, death, and hell on the cross so that we can know God's will, and we can get ready to do God's will, and we can do God's will, and we don't have to worry about the punishment. And I think the other readiness reward, which Jesus doesn't mention here, but I think it's worth mentioning, is that well done, good and faithful servant that we can get from Jesus. Now remember, all of this revolves around not doing great things for the Lord. It all revolves around being faithful and wise in what God's given you and just following through. And you know what? Are those readiness rewards? Everybody can receive the same level of reward. As a minister, I don't get a higher reward. Elders don't get a better reward. Members of the worship team or the community don't get a better reward. Everybody can have the same level of reward because it's not based on comparison with anybody else. But it's all what Jesus has done for you. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? The challenge is to examine yourself and your stewardship carefully. 
Am I ready? Am I knowing and doing God's will? Am I taking care of the stewardship God has given me? If Jesus showed up at my door tomorrow, am I ready for that? And if you're not, repent quickly. Another thing to get ready and stay ready, we need to keep looking for and being alert to Jesus at all times. When I'm walking down the street, not all the time, I know I want to sound like some super holy guy because most of the time when I'm walking down the street, I'm just wanting not to get hit by bicycles, cars, delivery drivers, and scooter people. But often when I'm walking down the street, I'm looking around just trying to see Jesus on someone's face to see what God's doing, to ask the Lord what he's doing in an area. So we need to keep looking for, we need to keep being alert to Jesus because he shows up at unexpected times and unexpected places. That's his tendency. Are you ready? Getting ready means making building God's kingdom according to God's will a priority before you build your own house. It's like uh, uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 24, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Jesus would say, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, everything else will be added to you as well. It's the same kind of idea. But so often I've heard people just pass over it and ignore it. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard someone say to me, you know, Rod, I, 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 when I get my life right, thank you, when I get my life right, then I'll go to church. Well, guess what? They never come to church because you can't get your, right, your, your life right on your own. You need Jesus. You need to be with God's people to do that. Uh, or, you know, I've, I've, I've heard a version of this. Well, I got this thing to do. I got these needs to take care of. And once I do that, then I'll serve as God wants me to. Or I'm going to work hard for most of my life and then I'm going to retire early and then I'll serve the Lord. And they end up dying two days before they retire. Or, you know, I've heard the attitude, well, I need to build up my own ministry. I got to do what God's called me to do. And then I'll work on building up God's people, God's household, the church. And that doesn't work. If we're going to be ready, we also need to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. If you want to know what what is dishonorable, it's that which would cause you shame or disgrace if known by other people. So think of the worst thing in your life that would cause you the most shame. And now, who wants to share that for everybody? You got, you're not terrified because you know I wouldn't do that to you. And you're right. But you think of that thing and say, okay, Lord, how do I get rid of that? How do I cleanse myself from that which is dishonorable right there? It's like what Paul said Timothy. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Now, you can imagine what a vessel in a house without plumbing that's dishonorable might be used for. I think you all can imagine it, so I won't have to go into the details. 
Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So we need to cleanse ourselves from that which is dishonorable, repent, turn away from it, and we need to know and do God's will day by day. It's the best way to be ready. Know what's important to God. It may not be what seems important to you. Find out what's important to God and be a part of it. And be faithful and wise every single day. It's daily obedience. It's daily faithfulness. It's daily living out the truth. It's daily doing just the next thing that God puts in front of you. So often we get so focused on the future, what might happen five years from now, ten years from now, that we miss Jesus when he's standing right in front of us, telling us what to do. I really struggled, as I said. And I asked the Lord, I said, why, Lord, do you want me to preach this message? Why am I speaking about ready? And I felt the Lord say this. People need to get ready, for I am coming for a bride who has made herself ready. And not everyone who thinks so is a part of that bride. I am coming now in judgment to the world. And that judgment begins with the household of God. I am coming in an outpouring of, a, of my spirit for an awakening. And many who think they are traveling with me will be left behind. And Jesus doesn't want anybody to be left behind. He wants us all to receive the reward. And he's made a way for that to be possible. Yes, the cost of obedience is always significant. But the consequences of disobedience are dramatic. We right now are immersed with God's grace, filled with God's spirit, set free from the power of sin, death, and hell through faith in Jesus Christ, if that's you. So the question is, are you ready? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your challenge to us, for challenging us to be ready, for asking us if we are ready, and I pray, Lord, not only individually, but also corporately, that we would be ready. That you'd help us be ready for your coming in power, coming back to this household in power. That you'd help us be ready so no thief is allowed to break in and steal from us anything. That you'd help us to be ready so that we can give a good evaluation, receive a good evaluation on how we've conducted our stewardship and that we would be faithful and wise as stewards. That we would be ready so that we can give an account for how we've known your will, been ready to do your will, and then actually have done your will. And we can be ready in all these things to bring you glory, honor, and praise. We love you, we worship you, we adore you, and we thank you for this day and your presence in our midst. 
And we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.